Father, uh, you're so good to us. Um, we don't deserve to uh, even have breath this morning, let alone uh, be able to inherit all the riches of heaven. It's only because of Jesus Christ that we get to do this, Father. And so uh, it is a joy this morning to lift him up, to praise him, to praise his work, Father, to sit under singing and teaching that lifts our Savior high. Uh, Father, so would you penetrate our hearts today, uh, penetrate our hearts with the word, heal relationships, break rebellion, uh, because the word is going forth this morning. Father, we pray for that to happen here in this room, across the churches here in Spartanburg, across this nation and around the globe. May people be drawn to Jesus Christ this morning because of the preached word. Uh, Father, it's a, it's a hard life. Uh, Father, uh, many uh, things coming against us, much suffering. Even in this room, Father, there's people that are quietly suffering, whether it's a struggling marriage, uh, whether it's a chronic disease, a rebellious uh, child, Father, that's far from you. Uh, the list can go on and on, Father. There's thousands of things that are pulling us away from you this morning. Father, would you give us grace, give us favor this morning to hear from you, to hide beneath uh, your mighty rock of salvation. Uh, Father, we, we covet that this morning. We covet the peace that that brings. Would you do that in this room, Father? Would you... Um, gives a spiritual healing this morning. Open blind eyes, heal deaf ears that they might hear the gospel this morning. Uh, pray for my brother Richard as he brings this message. Father, I know the weight is heavy on him this week. Would you give him freedom this morning to proclaim with confidence of the work that you've done on our behalf. Father, we love you. We cherish you. We cherish Christ. It's his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dan. Well, today marks another first. It's the first baptism that we've ever experienced in this newly renovated center of worship. Last week, we had the privilege of celebrating the first Lord's Supper. Next Saturday, we'll celebrate the first wedding in this worship center. So lots of firsts. And I really thought of no better way to celebrate the baptism of Ethan Hunt not Mission Impossible Ethan Hunt, but Alex and Felicia's Ethan Hunt. No better way to celebrate the baptism of Ethan Hunt than to celebrate the baptism of, of Jesus Christ. I want to take you back um, in the book of Matthew, in your mind, 2,000 years, 6,000 miles to the land of Israel, there, the Jordan River, which serves as a geographical boundary between the Palestinian West Bank in Israel and the nation of Jordan, you'll find that river where our Lord was baptized. And this is Matthew's account. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophets, Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. John was like the morning stars 
that you see in the sky just before the sun rises and takes over the day. His job was to announce that the Son of God was to about to take over the world. He was on earth. The arrival of the kingdom had come. John went to the wilderness of thorns and briars and no growth because this is where Jesus Christ would come within just a few hours to be baptized because it is in the places of no growth, thorns, hardship, a place where we look and say, life will never happen again. That's where Jesus goes. And that's why John the Baptist chose to baptize in the wilderness. His message is prepare the way. You have to decide today whether or not you want Jesus. You prepare the way by just saying, I'm opening my heart. Nothing is off limits. I want you more than I want anything in here. I prepare the way. Come King Jesus and take over my life. Whatever you're dealing with, you don't have to wonder if Jesus is willing to walk into your wilderness and minister to you. That's what he proved by the baptism. What you have to answer today is, do you want to be made new more than you want to cling to that which you're presently holding on to? That is the question you answer, not God. Matthew 3, verse 4, John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Um, John was an amazing prophet. He was given the most noble task ever of announcing to the world that the Messiah, the Savior, had come, and yet he had the most glamorous non-office that was ever given to a prophet. In the wilderness, barely clothed more than an animal, only eating that which the land provided for him. But there was a message in this. Utter contentment. I don't need luxuries in life to do the one thing that I'm here to do, and that is to point people to Christ. In fact, John said, I don't want those luxuries because normally they take me away from pointing people to Christ. I want a simple lifestyle so I can be a one thing kind of guy. You ever met a one thing kind of guy or a one thing kind of woman? They're just, they're, they're, their devotion to their calling it's like all they think about, all they measure in their life is the effectiveness of doing that one thing. They're, and what comes out of their life is normally excellence. John said, I want to be an excellent proclaimer. The one thing I want to do well is to proclaim Jesus. Matthew 3, verse 5, people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region that would include a couple hundred thousand people. The whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. This is what John's baptism meant. I am confessing that I'm a sinner. This was not another mere religious formality that had been heaped upon the people by dead priests teaching dead things. This is, I want to do business with God. I want to turn from my sin. If 
When somebody enters the waters of baptism, that is not the cry of their heart. I need you. I want you. I turn from that which is not you. If that's not the cry of their heart, all I did was bathe somebody today. It's either a symbol or it is an encounter with God where God meets the one in the water and touches them with his well done. God and man meet as the person declares God, I need you. And God's response is, you have all of me. You want all of me? You give me all of you? I give you all my kingdom. Yours, Ethan, my whole kingdom is yours. Matthew 1, verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. When, Jesus, when John saw the religious leaders arrive on the scene, he knew they were not there to cry out, forgive me. They were there crying, they were there spying on a movement that was stealing, in their minds, hundreds, maybe thousands of people from their control. They were dead men who taught poison. It's what John calls them vipers. There's snakes. It's never a good thing when a man in a desert walks by a rock and there's a rattlesnake. Never a good outcome there. Never a good thing when a woman is bending over in a rice field in India and surprises a cobra. Never a good thing. Snakes have poison. John said, you're teaching is poison, and you are determined to poison those who come to you. He did say, but if there are some among you who are indeed repentant, you can't judge their hearts, it's just likelihood they weren't repenting based on their track record, but if there are some that say, I'm coming to repent, then he said, validate that by obedience. Produce fruit, obedience in keeping with your repentance. Your obedience never earns your salvation, but always validates it. You can't say, I've turned from sin, I'm a follower of God, and you're living in sin. Produce the fruit of obedience that shows that you are a, one who's repented and turned to God and not just given into religious ceremony and convenient morality. Matthew 3, verse 9. Do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Last week, we noted that it is a tendency in the Bible for the Jewish people who were not walking with God to still feel safe because they belong to a group of people that God had blessed long ago. This was these men. And so John utterly shatters and demolishes that kind of thinking. But he says, you should not feel safe because you belong to a group. You happen to be in a, a building today where beautiful worship is, is, is sung. You're not safe in a group. Do not say that you're safe because Abraham is your great-great-great-great-grandfather. You belong to the group of people who knew Abraham. That doesn't make you Safe. In fact, John said, 
He doesn't, God doesn't need us. We need God. He doesn't need us. In fact, John said, if you continue in your, your unwillingness to repent, God can turn all of the rocks in the Jordan River into living people that he will give a heart to that will love his son. Jesus said that too later. The rocks will cry out if the people don't. So God doesn't come here today saying, I need you. He invites you to declare your need for him. And let me tell you, if everybody in this room says no, God's moving on. And he will go around the world and he will find one village and one town And somewhere he will find someone that will love his son. And to that person, to that people, God will give all of heaven's blessing to them. Matthew 3, verse 10. The axe is already at the root of the tree. And every tree that does not produce good fruit, obedience, will be cut down and thrown into the fire. John sees Jesus Christ as a mighty king. You know the prophets. John was the last of the great line of prophets. They really didn't make a big distinction between the first coming of Christ and the second coming. It was sort of one giant glob to them. Jesus is coming to forgive and to judge at the same time, even though it might be 2,000 years in between. So in one hand, you have Jesus Christ holding out forgiveness for all those who say, I need you, I want you, forgive me. And the other hand, he holds an axe. And John sees Jesus Christ here as a king ready to fail an entire forest of trees of unrepentant countries, peoples, and cultures that refuse to honor God as worthy of worship for all that he's done and all that he is. You can imagine being on a mountain and watching an avalanche take away an entire forest of trees at one time. This is what John sees Jesus Christ doing with his axe. In John's eyes, the message was clear. If you want to repent, Jesus will save you. It's good news. If you're unwilling to repent, he will cut you down, is John's message. Matthew 3, verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John compared himself to a household slave whose job it was to greet a guest that had come into the home, their feet filthy from walking on Judean dirt, and the guests would have their feet washed and their sandals carried away to a safe place until they left the home. But John said, I'm not worthy to even touch the sandals of the one who's coming from heaven to earth to save earth from its curse. I'm not even worthy to touch his sandals. And then he tells us why. 
have no power to change your life. I've been preaching and doing baptisms 33 years. I can't tell you how many people I've baptized in time, but all I know is the only thing I've ever done is put somebody in water and bring them out. About 98% of the time they come back up. <laughs> That's all I do. Water, down, up, out. Water. That's all I got. Jesus, however, what he did in Ethan's life, he came in based on Ethan's faith in the cross and the empty tomb of the, where Christ resurrected. What Jesus did is removed every cell of guilt in that boy's life and replaced all of that deadness with the perfectly righteous, energizing life of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus does, and that's why John said, I can't do that. But that's why I'm unworthy. Just so we don't take anything lightly here, John once again returns to the subject of judgment for all those who think lightly of what I just said. No big deal, Jesus' identity and his mission. Matthew 3, 12, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable, unending fire. So John changes metaphors on us here. A moment ago, we saw Jesus with an axe. Now we see Jesus with a pitchfork. A winnowing fork. It's what farmers in Palestine would use to, to gather wheat at harvest time. They would take the fork and put it into the pile of wheat and they would throw it up on a windy day and the wind would come and all of the chaff, the waste, the unusable part would be blown away and the good wheat would fall straight down to the ground and be gathered in for the family. And John the Baptist says that Jesus Christ, every time the word of God is preached, is throwing up all of humanity. And the wind of the Spirit comes, and those who detest what is being said about Christ will be blown away into judgment, into fire. And all those who say, I want a new start, I want a new beginning, I want to experience the love of God... I want to live in the city of God forever. It falls straight down and Jesus gathers them into his family and into his, into his, his, his kingdom. Just when John finished preaching this message, I mean, this is a stout message. A man preaches this message in the wilderness, John. Right when he finished preaching this stout message about the king who's going to do all this, lo and behold, the king himself shows up. Matthew 3.13, that Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to detour him and saying, I need to be baptized by you. And... Do you come to me? Can you imagine if you 
were like John and you had an understanding of who this was that was now standing beside you in the Jordan River? King Jesus. He has the power to turn stones into people or stony hearts into repentant people. He has the power to knock down an entire forest with an axe in his hand. He has the power to look at a a dirty person and replace their guilt with Holy Spirit purity. And he has the power and authority to one day gather all the nations together and those who were hungry for righteousness and said yes to him, he brings into his family. And all the rebellious of history, Jesus cast into eternal fire. This king is standing next to him in the Jordan River saying, would you baptize me? You can understand his reluctance. No. I don't have anything you need. I need everything from you. Please, King, baptize me. Before we look at John's response, I want you to look a little bit at the geography of the text. It's interesting. Jesus came from Galilee, Nazareth, where he was living, grew up, Galilee to the place, the little village town where John was baptizing. It was a walk, a distance, which he walked 60 miles. Now, if you're king, Jesus, I don't know of a leader, I don't know of a CEO that's not going to get on the phone and say, John, could you come up here a minute? No. In order to demonstrate how God has come to serve humanity, Jesus makes the walk. I mean, he had already descended from heaven to earth. Now adds another 60 miles to it. And he makes the walk to say, I have come to serve and to make great sacrifices for the citizens of my kingdom and the members of my family. I'm so grateful. This is why I changed everything where I was headed preaching today because of Ethan's testimony. When I heard in his impassioned voice these years of counting the cost, I just shouted, hallelujah, that someone understands there's cost. And following Jesus Christ, great joy, great privilege, but with all true privilege comes responsibility, cost. And when I heard those words, I heard this struggle. And then saw in this text the cost that Jesus was willing to pay, not just to walk to the Jordan, but eventually to walk, as we'll see, to walk to the cross. I thought about it. I wanted to just remind you again. Are you here, part of the journey that God is doing, this new thing in Spartanburg on Asheville Highway? Are you here understanding I am here also? I want to be part of the cost. I want to, be, I want to grow this church by paying a cost. Last May when we were in South uh, Asia, we talked to many pastors who were seeing a beginning work of God among Muslims. And, and, and by trickles, they were coming to Christ. But almost to, 
to the one. Every one that was coming out of Islam and placing their faith in the, in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, everyone was so reluctant, sometimes to put it off a year, sometimes three years, to get baptized. Because of the enormous cost of a Muslim to follow through with Christ in baptism. A cost that results in often separation from family, castigation from culture, beating, even death. So, three weeks ago when you came and you heard sweet Sophia give her testimony of the miracle that happened in her life when she came out of Islam and and the cost to her, and many of you have read her book, and we have the others that are on order. I asked her, so how is it going in the church where you worship with baptism? She said, it's typical, so slow. In fact, she said, right before I came to speak in your church, we had a young man that had been waiting this year or two-year period and finally said, I want to get baptized today. And they filled up the baptistry with water. And on the day that he was to show, he called and said, I'm frightened. I can't yet. She hurt for him, obviously. And she also hurt for the church. And just get this. She said, I hurt for the church because of the lack of availability of water in our area. It's expensive to fill the baptistry with water, and it was wasted. We filled that baptistry up last week just to, just to see how it worked and then just poured it out like it was nothing. Can you imagine living in a land where even the price of water is costly in following Christ? So I want to ask you today, I mean, Jesus took a 60-mile walk plus. Does your obedience to follow God really cost you anything? Something's wrong if it doesn't. Now let's look at Jesus' response to John's reluctance to baptize him. Verse 15, Jesus replied, let it be so now. John, let's do this. It is proper, it's right, for it will fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. You read that verse and the, really the answer is not in that verse. It's a struggle when I come to passages like that. See, then you have to do some educated guessing. Jesus just told us it's right. That's all John got. Sort of what Alex told Ethan in the testimony. You don't get all the questions answered that you want. All you need to know. So this is an all you need to know answer. Hey, John, this is right. So, but we have a couple thousand years to think about that answer. So I, I want to think about it with you. Why was it right? Here, Jesus Christ is sinless. And he is about to be involved in a baptism that is associated with the confession of sin. How could that be right? I think there's three answers to that question. Number one, through baptism, Christ stated that he was fully identifying with sinful humanity. 
I want you to imagine the scene that day in the Jordan River. A mass of humanity is coming into the water, and in the middle of them stands the sinless Son of God. In, in front of him, there might have been a vicious Roman soldier who had murdered the innocent. Behind him could have been a, a greedy tax collector who had cheated the poor. Behind her, behind him, a guilt-ridden prostitute who had traded her dignity for money, and behind her, a lonely shopkeeper who had opened up his business to everyone but God. And standing there among them all, to see them, to hear them, to touch them, to love them, and to forgive them, and to save them, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. To live a life they would never live, to walk a righteousness they would never walk, and to die a death they could never die. And Jesus Christ was not ashamed to stand in the water with sinners. Don't you love that verse in Hebrews 2.11, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters? I've done a lot of sinning in my life. But by God's grace, that verse of Scripture right there, and the picture of Jesus in the Jordan River has helped me so much. Jesus hurts for me, and I've been wrong a lot, but he's not ashamed of me. He is not ashamed to have me as a sinner teaching today. He's not ashamed of me. He's pulling for me. And he's cleansed me. At the age of 30, Jesus Christ walked to a place in the wilderness where John was baptizing. Jesus left his earthly home to begin construction of a heavenly home. He left his earthly family to expand his family to include brothers and sisters from all the nations of the world. And he left his work in the carpenter shop that he could begin constructing a home for you in the city of God. The willingness of Christ to walk 60 miles from Nazareth to Bethany and to stand in dirty water with morally and spiritually unclean people proves without a doubt that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners. Number two, through baptism, Christ stated that he was fully committed to the will of God. Apart from this incident in Matthew 3, there are only two other references in the Bible, where Jesus mentions the word baptism, both of them have to do with his death. In Luke 12, he was on his way to Jerusalem about a week before he would be crucified, and this is what he told his disciples. I love this, the picture of Christ's humanity. Luke 12, 50, But I have a baptism to undergo. This is three years after the Jordan River. But I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it's completed. And he, he would say the same thing in Mark chapter 10, verse 38. No time to read it today. You can read it later, Mark 10, 38. Referring to his baptism. The second baptism is a baptism into the grave. A baptism into death. 
So why is it so important to link those two? Because when Jesus Christ said yes to his baptism, first baptism, he was saying yes to his second baptism into death. Into the Jordan River meant into the grave. It means Jesus Christ always completes what he begins. Thank you for referencing that, Alex, in Philippians chapter 2. God will work out in us his salvation. Jesus is reliable. Jesus is faithful. During the 82 days in which the United States forces invaded the island of Okinawa, we lost 32 U.S. warships due to 1,900 dive bomb kamikaze attacks. Kamikaze, a Japanese word which means divine wind because the pilots thought they were on a divine mission as they would board a plane loaded with fuel and ex with explosives and fly them into United States Navy vessels. Many of the pilots that flew on these kamikaze missions only had 12 hours of flight training because they did not need any more training than that to do what they were assigned to do, and that is to die. And they only loaded their fuel tanks with enough fuel to make it to the naval ships that they were going to crash into. There was no coming back once they took off. This is the picture of Jesus Christ at his baptism. I am headed to death. Walking into the Jordan River means I walk all the way to the cross. Unlike us, Jesus Christ did not wake up each morning figuring out, determining, questioning, wondering whether or not he was going to serve God that day because it just didn't feel good. Every day, he was walking to the cross in full allegiance to the Father. Number three, through Christ's baptism, God affirmed that Jesus is the Messiah and Savior of the world. Verse 16, Matthew 3, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that time, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. You don't see things like this unless you have supernatural eyes. A gift was given to John that day. He saw the Holy Spirit. You feel the Holy Spirit that he saw him. Descend on Jesus Christ. And surely John, a prophet, was that's been likened to Isaiah, knew the great messianic prophecy that the Holy Spirit would come and anoint Jesus for his ministry which I, again, forgot. Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captive, and release from darkness for the prisoners. This is the greatest messianic prophecy that the Spirit would come and put his seal of approval on the one that God approves of. The Holy Spirit was saying in this moment, this is God's man that has fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies. Jesus Christ is the yes of all the promises of the Old Testament. 
and he is the man and this is the hour. The world and all who believe are about to be saved from the curse of sin. That's what the Holy Spirit was saying. And not only did the Holy Spirit make that statement, but God the Father spoke as well. Well, maybe that's not going to happen. Let's see. Oh, can I go back? Matthew 3, 17. And a voice from heaven said. Thank you, whoever just figured that out. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Again, how ironic, Alex. You would say that to, as a father to your son at your test, his testimony today. For the first time in history, when God looked down and saw Jesus Christ in the Jordan River, God from heaven said, Finally, a sacrifice for sins has come on the scene, and with my son I am well pleased. This is why I crave to be in this building every week. This is why I pray, and this is why I read the scripture. I'm not trying to earn atonement for my past sins. I'm not trying to earn God's favor for future blessings. I come here because at the Jordan River that day, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit told me that provision for my sins is now possible. The Holy Trinity showed up at the Jordan River to tell me that there is hope for my life. So let me ask you, when you come to the end of your life, do you want God to say, I'm pleased with you? Well done. It begins by you putting your faith in the only man that God has ever said, I am fully and infinitely pleased with the identity and the mission of that man. You place your faith in Christ and you will hear the well done from God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. He's glorious in the Jordan River. Glorious walking to the cross. Glorious in his daily enduring and not quitting. He's glorious as he stands with thieves and drunkards and prostitutes and gamblers and those who are greedy, those who lie. It's glorious that he would come into a renovated car dealership and transform it into a house of hope, a holy building of worship and reformation. Jesus, thank you that you're here closer than our bone marrow. Looking at us, offering the possibility of a new start, a new beginning. The old can go away, the new can come because of you, Jesus, Messiah, King. And so we do today, we give you our sin, we give you our guilt, we give you our willful volition, our rebellion. We knew it was wrong and we did it. And we give you the many things that we were just too blind to even know we should have been done. The sins of omission, our carelessness, our lack of love for a lot of people and lack of love for you. We give that to you. And we now receive your forgiveness. Purchased by the cross, by the resurrection, by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh God, 
Save the lost and help us sing with joy, returning with all of our hearts to the man whom you're pleased with, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.